Mormonism 101 for Teens is a valuable resource for anyone wanting a simplified view of the Mormon religion from a Christian perspective. Mormonism 101 for Teens is available at the Utah Lighthouse Bookstore in Salt Lake City or mrm.org. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We've been looking at an article that was published in the Salt Lake Tribune on December 19, 2017. It was announcing a book that had come out a month prior to this article, a book written by Terrell and Fiona Givens titled The Christ Who Heals, How God Restored the Truth That Saves Us. Now, this isn't really a review of the book. We're merely looking at what was said in this article, and the article was titled, Four Takeaways from a New Book that Challenges Mormons to Learn More About Their Own Doctrine and to Discard Protestant Notions About the God They Worship. And there are some conclusions that the Givenses make that I think should open up the eyes of a lot of Bible-believing Christians who are under the false impression that somehow Mormons are coming in our direction. If Mormons tend to believe like Terrell and Fiona Givens, I would say they don't think they're coming in our direction. And if a Mormon was coming in our direction, they should stop. They should discard those notions that they would possibly share with us as Protestants and or evangelicals. Well, Today we're going to look at a section of the article that's titled, See the Godhead as a Team. And this is what the article's author, David Noyce, says in that section. The evolution of atonement theology through the centuries, the Givenses explain, has turned God the Son into the compassionate, mercy-pleading defender and miscast God the Father as the vengeful, justice-demanding ruler. Now, when I read that, Eric, I know I'm not reading the book. I'm just reading what this writer seems to have gained from talking to the authors of this book. But when they say the evolution of atonement theology through the centuries, I'm going to have to assume that they're talking about in Christianity, as we understand it, because Mormonism hasn't been around for centuries. So are they implying that In Christianity, we tend to look at God the Son as the compassionate, mercy-pleading defender, and God the Father as the vengeful, justice-demanding ruler. Now, there's probably many professing Christians who might make that error and make that distinction, but I don't think you can make that distinction if you understand both the Old and New Testament properly. There's a lot of mercy in the Old Testament. God was always reaching out and trying to be merciful to his people who were constantly being disobedient and doing what they wanted to do. God was always pleading with them. In fact, God in the Old Testament basically had one big command for his people. Just believe that I'm the one that is here to protect you and take care of you. And what did Israel continually do? 
turn their back on the God who brought them into Canaan and go worshiping the false gods of the people that surrounded them. I mean, think about the covenant that God made with Abraham. It was a promise that God made that Abraham's seed would be prosperous and would always exist. And we believe that we also, as Christians, come from Abraham. So God is, uh, uh, yes, he's a God of justice, but he's also a God of love who cares about his people. Well, you mentioned the word justice, and this is where I was a little confused in reading this paragraph, because you would think that if anybody believes that God the Son is the compassionate, mercy-pleading defender— and then erroneously believe at the same time that God the Father is a vengeful, justice-demanding ruler. My question is, is why would a Mormon draw that conclusion when Mormons are telling us all the time that they believe that God the Father and the Son and even the Holy Ghost, the three members of the Mormon Godhead, are all one in purpose? Well, if they're all one in purpose, then wouldn't the Son be merciful, the Father be merciful, the Holy Ghost be merciful, but at the same time, if they're also one in purpose, would not the Son, the Father, and the Holy Ghost of Mormonism also understand quite clearly the necessity of a judgment upon a disobedient humankind? And that's the picture that I would think they would get. So what are the Givenses trying to say here? Are you, I'm, I'm really not sure, but I certainly don't think from what I've read here that they are trying to say that there is not going to be any type of justice demanded upon the LDS people or all of mankind, because certainly Mormonism does teach that. Look, for instance, to True to the Faith, a gospel reference that came out in 2004. This is a correlated manual. What does it say on page 91? Justice is the unchanging law that brings consequences for actions. Because of the law of justice, you receive blessings when you obey God's commandments. See D&C section 130 verses 21 and 22. The law of justice also demands that a penalty be paid for every sin you commit. It requires that no unclean thing be permitted to dwell with God. See 1 Nephi 10:21 in the Book of Mormon. Well, that's also in Alma 11:37, but The point is, if justice is going to be demanded, you would think that there's going to be a judge. Now, according to this article, it makes it sound like it's God the Father as the vengeful justice-demanding ruler. But that's not really what we read in the New Testament at all. For instance, in John chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus himself says that the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And then you go down to verse 27, Jesus says, And he has given him authority to execute judgment, speaking of himself, because he is the Son of Man. There is going to be a judgment, and Jesus is the one who is going to be the judge. But again, I don't really understand what this article is trying to imply here, because if a Mormon truly understands or believes that the Godhead is one in purpose, then why would you separate one into being merciful and the other one into being this vengeful, justice-demanding ruler? And it's interesting, if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about how many are going to go to the judgment throne and are going to say, Lord, Lord, look at all the good things that we've done. And what does Jesus say? Get away. Go to hell, basically. Depart from me, you worthless slaves. And so this is something that uh, we have to understand. Jesus certainly has mercy, certainly has grace, but 
there's also justice with Jesus just as much as there is with the Father. And there's no way that a Mormon can really get away from this concept. If you look, for instance, in the manual, Teachings of Presidents of the Church, Harold B. Lee. Now, this came out in the year 2000. It's a correlated manual. But Harold B. Lee said, How long have you postponed the day of a repentance from your own misdeeds? The judgment we shall face will be before the righteous judge who will take into account our capacities and our limitations, our opportunities and our handicaps. One who sins and repents and thereafter fills his life with purposeful effort may not lose as much in that day of righteous judgment as one who, though not committing serious sin, which I don't understand that, serious sin. According to the Doctrine and Covenants in section 1, God will not look upon any sin with the least degree of allowance. So why is Harold B. Lee trying to put sin on a graduated level of some sort? He says, though not committing serious sins, fall down miserably by omitting to do that which he had capacity and opportunity to do, but would not. Now, wouldn't that condemn every Latter-day Saint if 1 Nephi 3.7 is true, that God does not give a commandment that you can't keep? Every Mormon should be qualified to keep every commandment that God has laid down for them, but yet you ask every Latter-day Saint, at least everyone that I've talked to, they say they don't keep all the commandments. Certainly they know they have the ability if that verse in the Book of Mormon is true, but none of them are doing that. Shouldn't that cause them concern? Then we have a statement by Marion G. Romney, who was a member of the First Presidency, in a conference message titled, How Men Are Saved. He said, The church also accepts the scriptural doctrine that following the resurrection, each person, then an immortal soul, will be arraigned before the bar of God's justice and receive a final judgment based on his performance during his mortal probation that the verdict will turn on obedience or disobedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. I find that phrase of interest where he talks about based on his performance during his mortal probation. And we're going to talk about that in tomorrow's show, but let's finish up this segment here. But God and Christ aren't playing out a divine drama of good cop, bad cop, the author's counter or engaging in a lawyerly showdown in the most supreme of courts. They're on the same team, Fiona Givens says, working together to bring to pass our immortal life and eternal glory. Well, if they're both on the same team, and they're both one in purpose, they would be both merciful, but at the same time also demanding justice. So if a Mormon wants to distinguish between those two attributes, that would certainly be their fault, but it doesn't take away the fact that even within Mormonism, they believe that God is going to judge them, correct? Am I missing something here? I'm not exactly sure what point they're trying to make. And justice always has the final word, even in Mormonism. This is what Spencer W. Kimball, the 12th president of the church, said in the teachings of Spencer W. Kimball, page 150, Mercy cannot rob justice. The Lord's program is unchangeable. His laws are immutable. They will not be modified. Your opinions or mine do not make any difference and do not alter the laws. Many of the world think that eventually the Lord will be merciful and give to them unearned blessings. Mercy cannot rob justice. College professors will not give you a doctorate degree for a few weeks of cursory work in the university, nor can the Lord be merciful at the expense of justice. In this program, which is infinitely greater, we will each receive what we merit, 
Do not take any chances, whatever. Bill, it's all based on you. It's based on what you're able to accomplish. And the problem is, as you mentioned, Latter-day Saints know they're not doing everything they need to do in order to attain a celestial law. They repent regularly. They'll brag about how often they repent. But the goal, what Spencer Kimball and other leaders have said, is to be obedient and to do it now because 1 Nephi 3.7 says it's possible to do it now. Well, in this article, it says, and this is a quotation from the Givenses, or one of them, Christ is not protecting us from divine anger or judgment, the book says. On the contrary, Christ is collaborating with our heavenly parents. And then in brackets, it says Mormons believe in a heavenly father and a heavenly mother, and then end bracket, for our homecoming. Okay, what's the source for that? Christ is collaborating with our heavenly parents? You mean heavenly mother has a a part in this? What's the source for that? Nothing in Mormon scripture says anything about a heavenly mother. So again, here's another argument from silence. And for our homecoming, where are we going home, folks? Are you going to the celestial kingdom? You going to the terrestrial? You going to the telestial? What homecoming? If the Mormons believe in a heavenly father and a heavenly mother who's collaborating on this issue, I'd like to know where they get the scripture for that. Interesting, the Heavenly Mother concept is not found in Scripture, as you mentioned. It's been termed an unspoken truth. So you have to basically assume that it's true. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.